We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. And tonight we're coming to you to recap a Giants game where they not only made the playoffs and clinched it, they made it in decisive fashion. This wasn't a back into the playoffs situation. This wasn't a, oh, we won an NFC East at 7-9 and nine, like they almost did two years ago. This was legit. The Giants came out in a win-and-in game and absolutely dismantled the Colts. We went into this game today, my brother and I, saying, wouldn't it be nice for just one blowout win? And he asked me what my key to the game was, Nick. I said, win the turnover battle by 1-2. to two. The Giants didn't win the turnover battle. It was tied, and they still dominated and dismantled their opponent today. That just goes to show you how much this team wants to play for it. Like, they are fully bought into whatever it is that Joe Shane has tried to kind of instill on these players and obviously Brian Dave and the entire coaching staff. I'm going to read you a few numbers that were cracked today. This was the Giants' largest margin of victory since 2014. 2014! That's literally almost a decade ago. Just under a decade ago. And it wasn't a win and in game. They blew them out in their best game. They broke a 43-game under 30-point streak today. And I know people could say, oh, Saquon doesn't you know, fall down. They break it early this year. But they didn't, right? This was the actual game where they went over 30. My brother and I were like, are they going to go over 40? They were very close to going over 40, and they probably could have if they needed to. They also secured their first winning home record since 2016, the last time they made playoffs. One more fun fact, the last time the Giants made the playoffs, they had a pick six from Landon Collins in 2016. You remember it was during that London game. And this year, That's the Rams, right? Pick six, or the Rams, yep, in London. Yep. And another pick six from Collins this is a weird fun fact that doesn't even matter, but still fun. And there's a lot to talk about here. But, man, a few things I love. One, you have to win this game, and you come out and you win it in decisive fashion. You show, okay, we're not just some team that's backing into the playoffs. We're a team that might be able to make noise. And why is that maybe true? Because of the second thing. The second thing is they expanded their pass game last week against the Vikings. And everyone's like, oh, well, maybe it's just a matchup. Maybe it's because they played this awful Vikings pass defense. This week, the Colts were not an awful defense. Like, if you look at DVOA and those advanced metrics, I know they're not as good as what they were, and they had Kenny Moore injured and things like that, and obviously Yannick was out for this game, their best pass rusher. But regardless, this is a pretty decent team from DVOA standpoint. This is not like the worst defense in the NFL Vikings level type thing. And they continued with that expansion of their pass game. Yeah, there weren't any deep shots in this game, but we saw a lot more of the quick game. We saw the timing continue to be great in the quick game. The rapport with Daniel Jones and Hodgins, bam, it is like blue right now. Those two are playing so well together. Richie James, another guy who seems to be having this amazing rapport with Daniel Jones right now. And so what did I see today? I saw a team that needed to win this game, dominated, won in decisive fashion, and I saw a continuation of hope for the pass game. Because the pass game, if we want to make a run in the playoffs or at least win a football game in the playoffs, the pass game is going to have to play like it has these past three weeks. And that's something that's really stood out to me. And you want one more thing here. One more interesting fun fact. Two out of the last three games, Daniel Jones was not sacked. Two out of the last three games. Speaks testament to, that speaks volume to what's going on with this offensive line because we have ramped up the passing. You know, we are now a pass first team. Today we ran the Giants, let's say, not we. 89% 11 personnel in this game. 89%. 
and a lot of shotgun and a lot of pass first. And despite all of that, not a single sack on Daniel Jones. And that's two of the last three games. So definitely something else that stood out to me in this game, Nick. But I'm just really amped up. I'm really excited. It was a lot of fun. I mean, look, the Giants haven't been this in a while. And even 2016, I think this team's better than the 2016 team. I really do. They didn't have a single blowout win in 2016. They almost lost to the Browns in like an easy win, uh, you know, like in Cleveland where they're supposed to kill them. They were like 15-point favorites, and they were like one by six that game. Every game was a squeaker that year, 2016. They had no offense. And they had no real hope for their offense in the playoffs, though Eli then played like an unreal game in Green Bay, but had a ton of drops from Cruz or from, uh, not Cruz, from Shepard and Beckham. Yeah. Um, and Shepard had a big one too, but it feels a little different, man. It feels like they're clicking a little bit at this time right now to me, at least. And so I'm very excited. I'm very excited as well. And you brought the 11 personnel package. If you look yeah. at basically since. That week 13 tie against Washington, the Giants have just completely altered their offense to a much more pass-heavy approach out of 11 personnel, and they're successfully running the football out of 11 personnel over that span. But in this game, dude, Daniel Jones finished with 177 passing yards, right? Two touchdowns. People would be like, oh, that's not a lot. It's like, he didn't need to do anything else. Like, he yeah, was, was so efficient. In the first half. 19 of 24 on third down. I think they were four of seven. He was coming up huge with his legs, had two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns, 11 carries for 91 yards. Just a lot of smart decision making, man. Like they were just chants throughout the stadium, Dan, of Daniel Jones. And he earned those chants. Like he is playing really good football within the confines of Mike Kafka and Brian Dable's system. And I'm really happy for him because last year, this team literally kneeled the football backed up on their one-yard line, just forfeiting games, essentially. Like This team was an absolute shit show, for a lack of a better term, last year. And right now, the Giants have clinched a playoff. They're going to the playoffs for the first time since 2016, and I'm absolutely hyped about that fact. And it looks like, and we could talk about this maybe a little bit later, I'm sure we'll be talking about it over the next couple weeks, there's a 91, I think, percent chance, according to Doug Analytics, that the Giants are going to be going back to Minneapolis to play the Vikings, who I feel like this team actually can beat at least have a much better chance of beating than, let's say, the 49ers, who I even think the Giants can compete with them as well. So I just think it's a good place for the New York football Giants to be in right now because they're headed to the playoff, baby. Yeah, I don't really feel, based on how the Giants are playing right now, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but or at, at some point this week, the only team I really don't feel like they compete with is a full-strength, full-health Philadelphia Eagles team right now. Even Dallas, thinking back to that Thanksgiving game, there were some cracks in the armor. Yeah, Dallas won that game, and it ended up being a handy win. But remember, if... Jones changed the trajectory on that ball to Barkley in the flat and completes that pass. Barkley could house that thing, and that could be a whole different game. And there were other weird things that happened, that weird, you know, lineman a little bit downfield that took back the first Hodgins touchdown that, like, really flipped the momentum in that game. I don't know. I feel like Dallas has been way exposed in the secondary lately. They obviously had a good game this past week because they played Dobbs or whatever, but even Dobbs weirdly moved the ball a little bit against them on, like, eight days of notice. And playing quarterback for a team without knowing the system. So the like, cornerback like opposite of Diggs has been a real issue for Dallas. Yes. Like that's been an really? issue. And, and Mike Kafka and Brian Dable will exploit that. And the Giants yes. actually have that 11 personnel package right now where yes, they don't have Justin Jefferson. They don't have that absolute stud, but Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James, they are competing right now. They are playing playoff level football. They are playing on a team, starting on a team and moving the football for a team that has clinched the playoffs. These aren't just scrubs right. anymore. Like that narrative needs to go. It definitely does, and I think they'll be challenged if we do, you know, at some point face Dallas. That's all. So way down the line, Dallas is the yeah. five seed most likely. Though now Dallas could win the division. We'll talk about all those factors in a little bit here, but I did want to mention one more thing about what you mentioned with the Daniel Jones champ. My brother said it was the first time he can remember since he was drafted, Daniel Jones, where the whole stadium uh, rallied, rallied around him, really galvanized around him, you know, with those Daniel Jones chants. I thought it was cool what Dable did. Dable left him in for the final series when we were all like, I was like, what are you doing, dude? Take every starter out. What are we doing here? We do not need a random injury. But it was cool because he wanted to do it on purpose so he could play him those two snaps and then mid-drive pull Jones and get the you know the fans into it because yeah. it was a very it was a very sly move to get the fans. And I remember like a couple years ago, the last time I can remember a chant, my brother and I were talking about it, but he was, you know, he witnessed today at the stadium. Like that was when Eli Manning played that Dolphins game, Eli Manning's last yeah. game, very similar type feel. I also think something else Matt told me, who was at the game, my brother Matt, who's one time to join the podcast. Unfortunately, it was last year after the Washington game when we had that field goal miss where they got the yeah, penalty. Yeah, I need him to come back on a good note at some point. But though he is kind of funnier and more entertaining when, when things are going bad. But 
having said that, he said it was the first, uh, no, he wasn't the first. He said what he could see from his view is just how the different players and coaches on the Giants interact with and love Daniel Jones on the sideline. Like, regardless of what you think, like maybe it is fun. I'm sure it's fun as hell to play with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, especially if you're a wide receiver, right? The ball's in your hand a lot. You look over his shoulder, it's there a lot, deep down the field, intermediate, whatever. But you know what? Everyone else on a football team has to love a quarterback like Jones, who's literally going to come in, work his ass off every single day. By week, he's there 6.30 in the morning on his first off day allowed. Then every single time he scrambles or he plays broken, he's going to go for every single yard. He's going to put his shoulder down. He's going to take the tough hits. He's going to make those runs to the goal line and then take the hit to get it in. I mean, these guys love that. And I watched when he came off the field, and my brother told me when he came off the field, that like there was just a slew of different giants, like big names, Dexter Lawrence, smaller names that you don't even care, like that aren't even playing right now or back in the <laughs> roster guys. They're just like coming up to him and giving him a hug and congratulating him and talking to him because like it's a big moment for him too. And I think everybody recognizes that table as well. And so it was just a cool thing to see, I thought. Saquon Barkley praised him in the post-game interviews, just really just talked so highly of his leadership and how he leads by example and things Along those lines, and those are all things we know knew about right. Daniel Jones, right? Like th- that's not a surprise. But now you're seeing success, and when you watch this game, it's hard to not look at Daniel Jones and be like, "Yeah, this is the Colts. The Colts suck." But what are you supposed to do in those gotta have it moments? You're supposed to beat down on shitty opponents, and that's right. exactly what Daniel Jones did. And he didn't just do it with his arm, although he did. He also did it with his legs. He did it in a variety of different ways. So I'm really happy for the kid. I think he has deserved this, and he has earned it. And um, I'm looking forward to watching this team as they go into Week 18, which is now a um, much more, I think, important game than we originally thought it would be, at least a couple weeks ago, because Philadelphia has lost their last two games. And in order for them to secure the number one seed, they need to beat the New York Giants next week. So I have my own thoughts on that game. We'll get to it a little bit later, Nick, because I don't think it's going to be shared by everyone. I'm not even sure it's going to be shared by you, but we'll see when we get to that point. I want to talk about more stuff from this Are you going to talk about resting the guys? Yeah, I, yeah, well, we'll get to it, but I'm not, I'm not big on trying to fight to win this game personally. I, I just think, look, we have a weird, unique scenario right here. I don't know any other season where a six seed gets a chance at a bye week, right? These one seeds that are grinding for the bye week, the Eagles or the, whoever it's going to be from the East, and then whoever depends a lot on this Monday night game for the AFC, whoever wins those one seeds in each conference, they're not going to be like, let's have a scrimmage this week. Let's put everyone on the field. Let's grind it out and hit each other. And, and maybe somebody breaks an ankle. Maybe somebody falls off. No one's doing that. You get for, if they earn the one seed, they're taking the rest. They're resting up and they're up the next week. I'm, a, I'm in the same camp personally. I, I, I'm just not into it. I, I just, I don't see the upside. And I see a lot more downside than upside. And I see a lot of upside to getting your, getting all these guys rested. Giving them a chance to recover, especially the Saquon Barkley's and the Daniel Jones of the world. Like you can convince me on some of these other guys, I guess, but like, especially I guess maybe younger guys playing in new roles. I don't know, but really, I'd be good with just nothing. But we'll we'll get to that a little because I want to get your take on that before we get to all that. I want to talk about something you mentioned with Daniel Jones. Look, yeah, I mean, look, it's 177 yards passing, but the 91 yards rushing count for a lot too. He almost had 300 total yards. He had some really big runs in this game. But one thing I saw again that I'm now seeing a lot more of is creativity and, in the same sense, efficiency in the red zone from Jones. This is now the second week in a row where he drops back in the red zone. The original play at Reed is not there. And what does he do? He doesn't sit in that pocket like he used to. Sit, 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 look, 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 wait, boom, hit, four sack fumble, boom, hit sack. He escapes, keeping his eyes down the field. One thing we've noticed a lot this year. He's keeping his eyes down the field while on the move and escaping and then finding an open receiver. And that's what he did with Richie James. He's becoming a weapon now in the red zone because of his ability to not only escape the pressure, but also patiently keep his eyes up as he's moving and then just find open guys. He's now done this multiple times. I mean, he did this last week. He did this this week. He's done it a lot over the second half of the season. This is a new wrinkle to his game entirely. And it's something I think can really help them because one issue with Jones, the first, you know, three years of his career before this breakout season, was that he was one of the worst red zone quarterbacks I felt in the entire NFL. He had like no solutions. He would drop back. He wouldn't be a good red zone passer. He'd sometimes miss the first read. And then there was really nothing he could do. At that point, the old offenses, Garrett and even Shermer, weren't really using his legs. They weren't designing rollouts. They weren't designing like bootleg type stuff in the red zone. So it was up to him. And now he's become a little bit more of a weapon in the red zone because of this ability to kind of keep his eyes down the field, escape, stay patient, and find an old receiver like he did on that Richie James touchdown. 
And obviously the Hodgins touchdown was just quick game, which is fine. But that to me is a big sign because that's, that could be like a possession here, a possession there in the, in, in the playoffs that ends up being a touchdown that would have been a sack and a field goal, uh, you know, every other year. That's three consecutive games. He has a touchdown in that manner, if I'm not wrong, okay. right? What was the one? Had, was the Washington one? The uh, one, the, right? no, the Washington one that wasn't one, but it was the Eagles okay. game. Okay. So, so not three consecutive, but in recent weeks, they have had three touchdowns like that. They had the one to Richie James that you just broke down. They had a two to Isaiah Hodgins in the same manner. One wasn't yeah. really stepping up into the pocket. One, I think he rolled out to his right and then just extended the play, but it puts the defense into conflict, right? Because yes. that defender knows Daniel Jones is an athlete. He knows Daniel Jones has that Ryan Fitzpatrick gene where he's going to dive head first for the pylon or the goal line for a touchdown, but he has to cover his guy. So he has to make that decision that underneath defender, okay, do I go for Daniel Jones and eliminate him as a rushing threat or do I have to stay in coverage? Usually they go right after the quarterback and Jones just dumps it right behind their ear. Like that's three times in the last four games that Jones has been able to convert touchdowns in that manner. So I think you're right, man. I think the red zone efficiency, not just because of Kafka and Dable, but also because of the development and growth and the maturity of Daniel Jones has kind of gone a long way. And even with the Isaiah Hodgins play today against the Colts, that was, yeah, quick game, but there was a recognition there, right? Because I right. think it was a, a one set and the number two receiver, I'm not sure if it was Daniel Bellinger or who it was, he just released kind of faded towards that back pylon and that just expanded Bobby Okereke away from Isaiah Hodgins. Hodgins recognized it and he just sat right at the goal line and caught the quick pass. But I think that's just a recognition right there from Hodgins and Daniel Jones to realize what the coverage is, what the coverage is doing right post snap and then just be on the same page, which is just something that these two characters have right now. Like Hodgins and Daniel Jones are. Yeah, they have sick chemistry right now. They are just so freaking hot right now. And this is the time to be hot. And I absolutely right. love it, man. This is a practice squad guy, everyone says, but I don't know, man. He looks like a real player to me. Yeah, not a practice squad guy by anything yeah. but what, you know, people might say. He was also a draft pick, so it's not like, I mean, and we've seen enough now trades wise, but it is interesting something you mentioned, like with past Giants teams, for example, like this, the 2011 defense comes to mind, for example, specifically the pass rush in 2011 in the playoffs. It wasn't a good unit for most of the year, right? And this Giants pass offense has not been a good unit for most of the year, but before the playoffs and into the playoffs, that defense clicked and it became a good unit again. The pass rush was back, which led to good pass coverage at times because there wasn't enough time. Even the pass coverage got a little bit better, the corners. And I'm seeing something similar this year with the pass offense, right? It wasn't good for most of the year, but over the last three weeks, and I'll even go back to like three and a half or whenever that Washington overtime was when they said, you know what? Screw yeah. it. Let's go to the gun. And let's go to a little more tempo and let's run quick game and let this offense operate from Daniel Jones in the gun as a quarterback in a pass first offense. From that moment on, we started to see a little bit more clicking from the, a lot more clicking from this past game. You could talk about the opponents day, whatever, but the offense has been so much better since they've gone past first. And we don't even have the weapons in place yet, right? We still need a true number one receiver. We could still do better at a lot of our offensive line positions, whether that be the guys on the roster just improving or upgrades in, in coming off seasons. But the point is, despite not having the personnel, we're starting to see a pass-first offense be a better offense for the Giants. The Giants are a better offense. They were a better offense against Minnesota, and they were a better offense today than they've been all season. Balance is not worth enough. What you really want is offense. It doesn't matter how you get it. Get the offense. And when they've gone past first, they've been a much better offense. Today against the Colts, yeah, you can say, oh, it's not that good of defense. I don't know. Again, decent defense all season. I was a good defense, actually, up until like three weeks ago. Now they've had some injuries. At worst, they're decent at this point, in my opinion, at least. And yet, in this game, despite the first drive, Nick, where it looked like there was just like weird communication issues, and I think the sun even impacted that third down play. After that, Jones just like locked the hell in. And the Giants didn't even... The only drive that got stopped after that until like garbage time was when Darius Slayton fumbled on a first down six yard gain that would have set up a second and four. Other than that, it was touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, like a couple field goals, touchdowns here, there. I think it was a pick four six. touchdown, a pick <laughs> six. Like I'm just saying when the Giants were on offense though, yeah, the Giants didn't really punt in this game, which was crazy, right? Like they, I thought they have one punt all game. I don't know if I believe so. they even had a, yeah, one no, punt. Yeah, they had, they had the, the yeah, the one punt in the beginning of the game. Their first drive was yeah. a punt. I have it right here. 11 play, 71 yard, uh, touchdown drive after that. Nine play, okay. 64 yard touchdown after that. Then it was the pick six. Then it was a nine play, 43 yard drive that ended in a field goal. That was right okay. before half. 
Then you had the Darius Slayton fumble, then a six-play, 62-yard touchdown, six-play, 70-yard touchdown, and yeah. then a turnover on downs at the end of the game. Like the Giants really, offense. That, that, yeah, that's like, and what were we? We were pass first again, right? Like this is a better, I know it was fun with Barkley at the beginning of the year. Everyone thought we would be this grind-out team. We had to be a grinding team. No, we don't. Daniel Jones is proving that you can run this offense through him. And we also know that teams go into facing the Giants and they're like, we got to stop 26. Got to right. stop 26. Now the Giants are like, okay, well, maybe you should focus on stopping eight a little bit too. And again, right. the opponent sucks. We get that. But the Giants are now adding that to their arsenal, right? This Daniel Jones passing attack, the quick, efficient passing attack has now been effective for consistent weeks in high leverage situations for the New York Giants. That's something that we should be really excited about. And another reason why this more pass heavy approach is something that I feel like is a very smart move from this coaching staff is because of Daniel Jones's leg. You're forcing that defense right. to account for Daniel Jones, man. And I also feel like the play calling from Kafka has been excellent because there have been some timely halfback draw calls over the last couple weeks, right? And there also has just been this creative usage of when the Giants come out in what looks like 21 personnel, but it's actually 12 personnel with Daniel Bellinger as the fullback. We saw it last week on the deep over that Daniel Bellinger ended up fumbling because Brian Azamoa punched the ball out. Well, this week they had a tight end leak play. Well, I guess you should call it a fullback leak play with Daniel Bellinger from I formation leaking yeah, out sick. of a cleared out area. And we're starting to see the Giants incorporate Daniel Bellinger as a fullback and then using him effectively out of the backfield. This is two consecutive weeks now where the Giants hit two big plays with Daniel Bellinger in that manner. And I think he can keep incorporating that package along with the pony package with Matt Breida and Saquon Barkley just gives your offense a different element heading into the playoffs. I love that you brought that up, Nick, because not I don't want to toot our own horn, but it is fun that we when like the things we see on film and the stuff we talk about on tape, like we want to see more of this because we just noticed on tape actually comes to fruition. We said that when we saw the play last week with Bellinger that got, you know, the fumble. We're like, this was a really interesting wrinkle. We know he's going to come back to this. What I also said from watching the last few weeks of film is I saw more vertical or vertically oriented uh, routes from Daniel Bellinger than I've seen all season in the last two weeks. And what do we get today? We got some vertical shots to Bellinger. We got the, the catch you talked about. We also one over the middle on a third and long. And speaking of third and longs, man, it just feels like Daniel Jones is more comfortable than he's ever been in these third and long or third and whatever situation. And they're finding solutions more so than they ever did. Even to me, it feels like during the Shermer era, even like everyone loves to talk about the Shermer year, right? Like the one year under Shermer. Well, I know he had 24 touchdowns passing, but again, remember, he had some really bad games and the offense didn't really move the ball outside of like three games against really bad teams. Now we're getting consistent movement. It doesn't matter who the opponents are. We're, what we're getting here is consistent solutions, I should say, on these third down situations. That's not something we've had during the Daniel Jones era. I think a lot of that is the improved pocket presence and manipulation, the coaching having him run the ball. I mean, today, I think I saw a stat. I'm trying to find it now, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it up again. It was a crazy stat about how much EPA Daniel Jones added today on scrambles. And what are scrambles again? We've gone over this in the past, but I'll go over again. They're considered any non-designed run. So anytime a quarterback drops back to throw the ball and ends up choosing to run, and there were plays that were dead in the water today that he just said, screw it, and took the sideline, got the run, and picked up the yards in the first down. I mean, there is no better play right now in the NFL than a scramble as far as EPA goes, expected points added. It's at like five in the fives, and the best offense is below that. And so he's now added like, oh, go ahead. I'm curious if either of his touchdown runs would be considered scrambles because definitely one isn't. That was just like a look like a bash quarterback power type of concept. Yeah, and then cool. the other one is the play action rollout where there are eligible receivers, but I think the primary design is for Daniel Jones to take it just like in the Chicago right. game where he had two rushing touchdowns in that game as well. So I'm curious if uh, those two runs are factored into the EPA. That's a big factor in his big, you know, breakout this season. I want to talk about the third downs and, you know, just Daniel Jones and what he's been able to do under pressure. Something interesting I, I saw this week, and we can get into more of the game as well, but this was an interesting thing. It's from Tyler Dunn, who has like a going long newsletter. He's like used to work in the NFL, or I think he still covers the NFL, but used to be like a reporter. And he said, and this is according to his source of his. So again, we should take all these source stuff with a grain of salt because it's hard to really know what's true and what's not true. But according to his source, Dable told his source that Brian Dable specifically scripted plays to make Daniel Jones look bad in training camp and to make Tyrod Taylor look good on purpose in order to test Jones's ability under pressure, both on the field and then with the media. And then he added that Dable told the source that Jones passed those with flying colors. Now, what's interesting to me is 
what did we talk about all preseason and all training camp, right? Daniel Jones looked terrible in training camp. People who went to those practices were like, he can't hit the right side of a whatever, the right, whatever the barn reference is. I don't know what that stupid moniker is, but you can't hit the barn side of a barn, whatever it is. Um, and you know, he, he didn't look good at the gate. I went to a couple of those practices. He did not look good. And now I think it kind of vibes with and checks out a little bit with this report from Tyler. Who knows if it's true, but it makes sense. And, it, and if so, it's an interesting coaching uh, tactic from Dable. That's some Herb Brooks stuff right there. Yeah. You get that reference? Uh, Herb Brooks, actually, Herb Brooks once taught me at a basketball camp. So I do get that. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. RIP, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Herb Brooks, man. Going back to Miracle, 1980 Olympics. U.S. hockey team. But anyways, uh, yeah, that would be something. I know that. I'm definitely thinking of the wrong person. (laughs) There's no way I'm thinking (laughs) of the right person. (laughs) <laughs> okay when i said r.i.p were you like yo when did that guy pass? well not even that because this guy who, I, who taught me might be dead but the guy who taught me was a basketball guy you're talking about a hockey guy right yeah hockey coach yeah uh, this is definitely not the guy who taught me this is yeah it's somebody else it's like uh it's the guy who taught uh, whatever don't even worry about it he don't even worry about who that that reference was but we'll, we'll let that go with my okay. head. anyway make your point yeah so i i think if we remember back to training camp daniel jones struggled and a lot of it was, hey, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at the offense. Just a lot of winks, pressure packages, and things of that nature. I didn't necessarily ever kind of put it together that Brian Dable may have been scripting plays to specifically make Daniel Jones look a little bit worse. I don't know if I don't know if he would be scripting plays because he wants Daniel Jones to learn his system. So maybe yeah, it just seems weird. That's where I'm a little like hazy on it. But maybe they just really dialed winks pressure up. On which is something we kind of already knew, anyways. But either way, regardless of the fact, Daniel Jones has really taken to this offense and he looks good in it now, and hopefully he can carry that on. <laughs> yeah, he did. And let's talk a little bit more offense, and then we can flip it over to some of the things we saw and liked on the defense. But on the offensive side of the ball, I thought again, mentioning what I said before, hasn't been sacked now, no sacks against the Giants in two of the last three games. We got to give some credit to the offensive line because the offensive line as a whole collective in pass direction, it's playing much better because you want to operate this kind of pass-first offense. First thing you need is the offensive line has to check out. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to get you to the point where you can feel comfortable calling this style offense. So I, we'll see on the tape, obviously, and we talked about it last week when we broke down the Vikings tape and we gave a grade out. Maybe that grade will be higher around the same this week, but it was a good grade in pass production. Um, and I know some people disagreed with that or just kind of point, you know, really harping on like these, these few bad reps from Evan Neal and like one really bad one from Gates, but like last week I'm talking about. But overall, they threw the ball X amount of times. Four reps isn't, you know, doesn't encapsulate the entire pass production, I don't think. So I'll be interested to watch that again this week. As will I. And speaking on the offensive line, I got to say, on some of those Saquon Barkley runs and then the Daniel Jones quarterback power bash concept, which was what I think Uh it was. I don't have to play in front of me. The backside blocking looked like it did back when the Giants were in the beginning of the season against Tennessee and against Carolina. There was a block that Glowinski threw, and I don't know if it might have been clipping, but we'll have to check it out on the All-22, and it was on that court, that second touchdown run by Daniel Jones, man. He got to the second level, and he hit, and it might have been clipping, but either way, he hit the second-level defender and just tossed him away, and that eliminated a defender that Daniel Jones had to deal with. There were a couple other runs where I saw Glowinski and Feliciano up at the second level, throwing key critical blocks for Saquon Barkley. So that's going to be something that I'm really interested in seeing because if the run blocking out of 11 personnel can get back to what it was in the beginning of the year with this passing attack, you're talking about an offense now that really has a dangerous skill set or dangerous approach, then I think we originally or just we just anticipated it all this season. I, I don't think we thought that this passing attack would get as smooth as it's been over the last couple of weeks. And if they can run the football, Dan, it could be very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point you made because I was going to ask you about, we just talked about, oh, the pass protection is doing their part. The run blocking really felt like it was as good as it's been since that early part of the season. Now, maybe it's the opponent, I don't know, but they were moving bodies. The, the numbers back it up. The Giants started 19 of the 30. This is according to Doug Analytics. They started 19 of their 30 uh, series with a run or possessions with a run. And that doesn't make sense. Oh, 19 of the 30 probably first downs, I would assume that means. So they have 30 possessions, obviously. So it must be first downs of the run. 18 of 19 of that. 18 of 19 of those went for a new first down. That's pretty impressive stuff, and that's just, like, wild to think about. And especially when you look at the numbers that kind of coincide with it, which is the personnel. The Giants had 42 of 49 
plays from 11 personnel and they were in shotgun um, and all those were in shotgun and then all their plays from the shotgun were 11 personnel um, and 11 of their 13 plays from under center were all run. So it wasn't like they were trying to really hide or disguise what they wanted to do here. They were just able to do it, which leads me to believe maybe this offensive line won the point of attack on a consistent basis, which is a great sign. Yeah, because they have some guys on their defensive yeah, line. Buckner, playing, right? Yeah, Quiddy Pay was out there. There's they're some solid football players. And the Giants haven't really run the football out of 12 personnel all that often recently. It's been a right. much more 11 personnel rushing Good. attack approach over the last couple of weeks, and it's been effective. Like, the EPA is positive on those 11 personnel runs. I'm trying to think. There, there was a week, I think it was week 11, because I was talking to Doug Analytics about some of this on the, in the DMs. I think it might have been week 11, where I don't even think the Giants had a 12 personnel run you know so right. either way man like that's not something that we thought around the bye week because the giants right. were so reliant on their 12 personnel package so the fact that they have this 11 personnel package that they can pass and run out of is uh something exciting yeah it is and it just feels like again we've seen the expansion in the past game but i just feel like more so than anything else with what made this past game look so much better these last three four weeks whatever it's been now almost a month is the timing. That's always what it comes down to with these past games, especially when you are a quick game-based pass offense. I'm sure it matters even more there. We are. Obviously, the Giants are. But the timing just feels so good, man. When James is out of his break, the ball's where it's supposed to be. When Hodgins is out of his break, the ball's where it's supposed to be. The timing and the and the ball placement, which is you know a lot in part based on the timing, is crisp and it's there. And the delivery is there. Jones is throwing a really good ball late. I mean, really all speeds. And I feel like, again, I mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. I feel like Jones's arm strength has been better this season than it's been at any point in his career. I don't know if that's true. There's no way to tangibly judge it. It just feels that way from watching him. The ball comes out much better, much cleaner than it did, especially late in the year, right? Like those, those, those December, January months for Jones, I used to see like a, a few balls that were like, eh, what's going on with the weather? And there hasn't been too many bad weather games yet for the Giants in, the, in this kind of context, but still the ball's coming out good. And I just feel like Right now, this pass game's clicking, which is great because it's clicking at the perfect time heading into the playoffs. Um, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. Some interesting notes on the other side of the ball. Aziz Ojolari, you know, had that basketball ankle roll last week and then was good to go to play this week, but only played 70% of the snaps. I wonder how much, Nick, that has to do with the Giants jumping out 14-3 and then 21-3. I don't know because he didn't play much until that, you know, in that time span when it was still considered technically a, a game. And it's, I guess it still is at 24-3. You could still lose that game, but I don't know. The other thing that was interesting, I thought, was Xavier McKinney came back, started, and played a, sh- a shit ton of snaps. Um, the first pass, their only really good offensive play of the game, the Colts, like when Foles just kind of chucked it up. I thought McK- McKinney kind of made a pretty bad play on that, and I was yeah. wondering if maybe it was the hand, like he's second-guessing it with the hand. I don't know what was going on there. I heard him he said he needs to knock off, yeah, knock off the rust. Yeah, he said he needed to knock off the rust. I don't know. But what do you make of those two developments to start, the the, the Ojolari and, and the McKinney? I think the Ojolari thing, I think you're right. I mean, the Giants were comfortable enough to dress this guy. And I don't know if he re-injured anything. We never got word. Brian Dable, when he did his post-game presser, had no injury information. He didn't talk to any of the any of the trainers or anything like that. But we haven't heard anything about him being injured. And it makes sense that you want to heal up a guy who has been injured since training camp. And the Giants right. didn't really need Aziz Ojolari in this game. So that doesn't really surprise me. We'll have to wait and see if there's anything else that comes out. But in terms of Xavier McKinney, look, like you said, he hadn't played uh, defense or anything in, what, seven weeks or something like yeah. that? The last time he's played was against Seattle. So he's going to knock off the rust. It was one deep, wobbly pass to Paris Campbell in the former Ohio State receiver made a really good play on the football over three okay. defensive backs, but I'm not worried about Xavier McKinney. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not worried about Xavier McKinney, but I'm not like penciling him in yet as like a big-time impact contributor for us in the playoffs until I see a little bit more from him. And just kind of want to see. I know he had a pretty decent day. Otherwise, he had like four solo tackles. So he was like around the football. We'll, we'll see on the film. I shouldn't say that. I want to watch the page and then go from there, see what kind of positioning he was in and stuff like that. But I'm worried about how this hand thing will impact safety for like, you know, the rest of the season. We'll see what happens there. On the injury front though, other than him, they got Leonard Williams who left the game with a burner, but I kind of feel like this Leonard Williams situation is like, he's just going to be playing hurt all year. He's been playing hurt all year. He's not a hundred percent healthy and yet he's still really effective. So I'm not too worried about that one yet. I heard after the game that the Dory Jackson's really close. Now they might. I wouldn't play him against the Eagles this week. I don't think he needs to shake off the rust. I'm not worried about that. I'd rather give him one more week to rest that ankle. 
but we'll see what happens. Or not that ankle. Uh, he has a knee injury. We'll see what happens there, but he's close, so that's really good. I think Adoree Jackson at this point, Nick, will make a bigger impact than Kingsley will. I think so, too. Yeah. yeah. I think Adoree Jackson just shifts every other cornerback into their rightful spot. Like, Moreau is much better as a number two than he is a number one. I feel like Cordell Flott when he's out there. Look, we watched the film on Cordell Flott last week. He was in position a lot, and there were a couple of transitions that I felt like he got out of his break really quickly, clicked and closed downhill. We went over it on the film, the defensive film. I think Flott is an interesting player, but now he doesn't have to be relied on as a number two opposite of freaking Fabian Rowe. So yes, right. the Adore Jackson addition would be excellent for this team. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit W ynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the Win Bet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During Win Bet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on Win Bet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through Win Bet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call. 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some Liquid Death and I enjoyed it. I was parched. And then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a liquid death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash big blue. That's liquiddeath.com slash big blue. Kayvon Thibodeau is really breaking out. And we've already yes. said this for the last like several weeks. He's having these games at the touchdown against Washington, which was what the Giants only offensive touchdown of that game. 
a huge game. Like, look at what the Washington Commanders are dealing with right now. They have lost yeah. what their last three is it now, and they're they're out of the playoffs, right? They're I believe eliminated. they were eliminated. eliminated. Yeah, they were yeah. eliminated. That could have been the Giants. You know, everything fell up down. And Kayvon Thibodeau with that strip sack touchdown against Taylor Heineke was such a big play in the in the landscape of this season. So yeah. in this game, the first game of the year, I mean, the first play of the game, tackle for loss, Dan, tackle right. for loss. He just shoots right outside of Mo Ali Cox and makes that tackle. Then he has the almost pick six, which was later in the game. And then he also had the uh, he had the sack, which uh, he was doing snow angels next to a dying Nick Foles, which was uh, not great. But I don't think he and he's addressed this after the game. I don't think he was aware that Nick Foles was actually injured. He was just celebrating because he was happy he had a sack. Yeah, there's like Twitter doctors or Twitter yeah. video doctors who are like, look, he looked over at him. So he recognized it. Maybe he's just like turning his head and doing the snow angel and not really like. It's a, he's got a helmet on. I'm not so sure he's like looking at Foles like, oh, look at him dead. I'll just keep going back to what I'm doing with the Snow Angels. He said he wasn't doing it. I'll take his word at it. I could care less Damn. about that anyway, personally, to be completely frank. But what I care about is that he is breaking out. He is an impact player for them right now. And it's a great thing to have. But in addition to him, I mean, look at this man. I mean, we've got a guy who's played, I think, the second most snaps for this defense in Dexter Lawrence as an interior defensive lineman. At 350 or whatever he is, 335, I don't even know what he weighs at this point. He's playing an absurd amount of snaps for an interior guy. And yet, despite this amount of snaps that they put him on the field for, he's not dropping off. Today he had a rep against Quinton Nelson where I was like, oh my God, dude. And I know Quinton Nelson's having like a bad year and he's been injured and stuff, but it's still Quinton Nelson, dude. He freaking manhandled him, drove him back off the ball and into the ground for a pressure. I mean, he's looking for a sack. For a that was sack, a sack. even for a pressure, yeah. for a sack. Like, this dude is, like, potentially the best defensive interior lineman in the NFL this season. I don't know. There's other people who are making the case for other people, which is fine. And I know he's still not getting the credit he deserves around, like, the Twitter sphere from, like, some of the, like, PFF guys that I respect and, like, just guys who don't cover one team. But I don't know who's playing better than him right now in the interior around the NFL, especially with Aaron Donald out. Like, I just don't know. Maybe there are guys, but I don't know how. Because every game, he gets pressure. Every game, he dominates these one-on-one battles. It seems like almost every game, he's getting a sack. Like, he's just dominant. So we've got two guys now in him and Thibodeau who are playing lights-out football consistently, down-to-down, snap-to-snap on that defense, heading into the playoffs. So I'm really excited about what I saw from the Giants' defensive line today. They won the point of attack. They won it early, and they never gave it up. I think what makes Dexter Lawrence just so freaking unique is the guys that he's in the conversation with is like Chris Jones, Quinn and Williams as like a young, younger player yeah. who's having a really good season. Those guys are like 305, yes. 310 pounds. This dude, Dexter Lawrence is like 340, 340 plus pounds. Like you said, playing as many snaps as he's playing and being as much of a pain in the ass as he is as a pass rusher. Like this is, I don't, the all pro, whatever, like I don't know what he was voted, all that yeah. stuff. He uh, got, he got Pro Bowl. This guy's an all-pro player. Like He's playing at that level. He might not get that recognition, but he is the catalyst to this defense right now. He is the best player on the defense. He is the player that offensive coordinators are like, bro, we got to figure out a way to block this guy because it's not even just the pass rushing. That is obviously amazing, and that is primary, but what he's doing as a run defender, dude, he was making tackles way down the line of scrimmage again, and that's another thing that we can talk. I don't want to be negative because this is a really positive podcast, but I like to be objective here. Zach Moss had way too many yards on the ground against the Giants, and it wasn't yeah. all during. I mean, a lot of it was kind of garbage time, but still, you don't want to see a guy like Zach Moss averaging 4.9 yards per carry. So I still think the run defense overall for the New York Giants is going to be an issue moving forward because the second level is weak. But if you want to run in the interiors or do kind of stretch zone, you better block up Dexter Lawrence because he has that type of athletic ability and recognition to cover the ground and get to the location that he needs to be to make the tackle. And that's what they're going to try to do in two weeks when it's the Vikings, which is great. Like, I agree. We're nowhere near fixing this run defense. I said it last week on the defensive podcast. This isn't going to be fixed this season, but we still get to, we still get to operate in the world where it is a matchup based run defense, right? Like teams that run a lot of zone against the Giants, that's a plus for the Giants. That's where our run defensive or run defense deficiencies are minimized. If you want to run a lot of zone and that's what the Vikings do. You're going to be a, if you're going to be like a Cowboy style run all offense, that's bad news. I don't think the Giants are going to ever really stop the Cowboys run game this year. It's not really possible for them based on the personnel, but that's fine because not every team runs that style of blocking scheme. So 
you know, and I know they mix it up to the Cowboys, but they do it a lot against the Giants. They were the first team to really expose them this year in that Monday night game week three. And then since then, you've seen teams kind of fall in that path. But like you said, he he helps you when you're trying to run those inside or those stretch zones, those types of things. With Dexter Lawrence in the field, it's not as easy to do. It's a lot harder to do. I want to talk about Landon Collins, man, because he reached, I think, 19.1 miles per hour on his pick six today. The dude had a pick six. The Giants haven't had a pick six this season. We have a one pick six all year. We got it from Landon Collins, a guy who they signed off the scrap heap. He's kind of learning linebacker. And one thing about him, man, he brings a different style of speed to that linebacker position. Like, you could have a lot of different guys on the second level there that aren't going to jump, that aren't going to undercut that throw, jump it, have the ability and speed to undercut that throw, jump it, then pick it and house it for a touchdown. And he did all that. And I watched him and I saw it happening with my own eyes. I saw him. And I was like, he's undercutting this thing. And he did. It was such a cool scene. He's going, reached almost 20 miles per hour, which is, you know, pretty fast for somebody who's basically playing like a linebacker role at this point for the Giants. Housed it, whole thing, touchdown. Just an awesome thing for this dude. I mean, at this point, we know it. We've been saying it for weeks. I think we said it on our defensive podcast two weeks ago where like Landon Collins has basically, I think our the, thing, the way I termed it was Landon Collins is demanding playing time with his play on the field. He's demanded it, not like with his words. He's demanded with his play. And now we see it, man. He's going to be a piece that's potentially going to be a factor in big time for the playoffs. Yeah, and he looks great out there too. He had the one... Yeah mishap last week in the run game or was that against Washington? It might have been against Washington. Washington. Yeah. And, and Dable brought it up too and we, we noticed the exact play that Brian Dable was referencing. But other than that, he had huge plays on third down that got Washington off the field. And ever since then, he's just been playing well. That pick six, man, that was a bunch formation. You had someone run a deep seven. You had the guy in the flat, kind of like a sail concept and then the vertical element to it. And he just Kept stayed square, shimmied outside, shimmied outside, and then just read the eyes of the quarterback, jumped the route, pick six. Did the guys only have one pick six last year? And was that Xavier McKinney uh, against the Raiders one? Did they have Xavier, any other one? They did not have any others. Yeah, they're not really a pick six team right now. Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was just the, the Xavier McKinney uh, one against yeah. uh, Hunter Renfro, which was really yeah. impressive. But man, yeah, I'm I'm hyped. For Landon Collins like that's a Hollywood type of story dude like you start with the Giants you're all pro you almost went defensive player of the year in 2016 Gettleman takes over he's not going to resign a lot of those veterans that weren't drafted right. by his regime he has to go sign a contract a nice contract a hefty contract over there in Washington but then his time in Washington is really just kind of stifled because of that Achilles injury and yep. he comes back and now he's just on the practice squad, kind of toiling away, earns his way into the starting lineup, gets a pick six in the playoff clinching game. The first time you're going back to the playoffs since your 2016 season when you were right. dominant. I mean, that's Hollywood stuff, dude. It's pretty cool. It's pretty damn cool for Landon Collins. He wasn't play- he played. They brought him in, and then they didn't play him for a while. He was just on the practice squad, and you're almost like, what's going to happen here? And I'm really glad they expanded their kind of thought process on that to bring him back because Man, it, it, that would have been a mistake, honestly, by the coaching staff to not bring him back into the starting lineup. I thought he might have been like cooked or something. I was like, he looked fine, but he only played like what, like a couple handful of snaps, like 16, 20 snaps ish in those first couple games when he was elevated from the practice squad. And then I think the Giants just realized, like, look, our linebackers suck. We got to stop like cycling in these something. guys. Yeah. We need to do something different. Let's go to 21. And that was an excellent move, as you already said. And so let's move it forward now and talk a little bit about what you were talking about before. The two things I want to get to here are one, what, and by the way, Collins played 55% of the snaps today, which is a pretty high number. Like that's, I'm fine with him in that range. I think that's the range that he will be in moving forward, which is a range where you can make an impact. It's a little difficult to read into the snap percentages in this game because it was a blowout. Blowout, So that's like, if this was a competitive game, how many snaps would Landon True. Collins play? That, that's what we got to read into a little and bit more. And we don't know about that too. Good point. Yeah. But moving it forward, the Giants have now clinched the sixth seed. No matter what they do next week, they will be the sixth seed. Now, as Nick alluded to earlier, according to Doug Analytics, there's like a 91% probability the Vi- Giants will play the Vikings, but that is also based on like implied odds um, that he's using. So it's like a plus yes. 980 implied probability, which is not... So it's like... Uh, I don't really know too much about implied odds outside of what they mean for poker, and I won't bore everyone by going into my poker thing here. With Please do. Yeah, implied odds. But essentially what he's saying is, like, based on the fact that the Vikings are one-and-a-half-point favorites over Chicago and the Niners are 13-point favorites over Arizona, I'm pretty sure it's that second part. The Niners are 13-point favorites over Arizona. 
there's a 91% probability that the Niners won't lose and the Giants will play the Vikings. So anyway, with that in mind, the Giants locked in the sixth seed. The Eagles now, with a surprising loss to the Saints, Jalen Hurts was supposedly very close to playing, did not play. They like they felt like they didn't have to play. They felt like they were going to win regardless with Minshew. I think they know now they're not going to win with Minshew no matter what. They'll probably play Hurts next week, the Eagles. They're playing for the one seed. They're playing to win the NFC East now that Dallas has come all the way back, stormed all the way back. And I'm pretty sure if Dallas wins and the Eagles lose, Dallas gets in. So if the Giants beat the Eagles and the Cowboys win, the Cowboys then win the NFC East with the same record as the Eagles because they have the better division record. And then the Niners take the one seed over the Cowboys by, you know, whatever the common opponents is or whatever the tiebreaker is there. Niners will be the one. Cowboys will be the two. Eagles will drop all the way to the five. Giants will remain the six. So with that in mind, the Giants can play a spoiler role here in this game and knock the Eagles out. So I, I think I made my case a little bit earlier, but to me, there's more value in using this as a bye week for your players, essentially, if I'm a, if I'm the Giants coach. And it doesn't, I don't think that's what the Giants are going to do. And I'm not going to go crazy if they don't do that. Like Brian Dable can do whatever the hell he wants, whatever he thinks is best. Remember, Tom Coughlin during the Giants Super Bowl season notoriously or famously played all of his starters against the Patriots. And that's it when they were going for 16 and 0, almost beat the Patriots. I think it's a little bit different because the Patriots are going for 16 and 0. To me, that's a different scenario than the Eagles just going for the one seed. Just my personal opinion. But it's a similar scenario in the sense that Giants didn't need to play those players. They already clinched. And, you know, I think it might have been the same where they couldn't even change their seed, but they might have been able to change seed. I don't remember. Um, no, the Giants were locked in at that point. At the same time. Giants had nothing five. to gain. They had nothing to gain from that game. Okay. And Coach Coughlin still went out there and, challenged them and honestly man like that was huge going back because they giants yeah. realized they could compete with the patriots and obviously that wore out. and that could be the same case this and the same case can be made right like if the giants come out here and play all their starters and try their hardest to win this game and compete with the eagles the case can you know they can feel confident and i think there is value to that stuff i'm not trying to, to downgrade and say none of this has yeah. any value all that has value to me i'm just weighing all options here what has more value getting your Getting your team a bye week that you would never get, that really only is designed now, the NFL designs the playoffs, that only one team in each conference is going to get the bye week. And a lot of people subscribe to the bye week. A lot of coaches, a lot of players I've heard say the bye week is huge to get. It helps you for your playoff run. A lot of these one seeds do go on to at the very least play in the conference championship most of the time. So you get the bye week. You also, on the other hand, this side of the, the, you know, the decision, you get the bye week. You also take away any chance of injury. You take away any chance of a bad fall for Andrew Thomas. And I'm not going to wood by saying all of these. I don't even want to bring up the names in these examples because yeah, it's Yeah, no, you're getting too specific here. Even, yeah, I don't even want to bring up the names, but that's in play. If you play your guys, it's NFL. Freak injuries happen all the time. Kyler Murray tore his ACL just running on a scramble. Like anything can happen. It's football. And we've seen a slew of injuries already to the Giants this season. So on one hand, you risk the injury. And you don't give your team a bye week and you take them into the very next game against Minnesota that following week. They're banged up, whatever. Or you take the chance to do what you did against the Patriots in 07. You give the fight. You maybe knock the Eagles out if things go great. And then you put the Cowboys in the one seed, which I don't, again, think that has too much value to you, but maybe it does. So to me, there's more value on the other side of it personally. So I wouldn't play my starters. If anything, I would play them for a little bit. And there's not a chance in hell Saquon Barkley would ever touch the field if I was the coach for next game. That's so I understand. For me. I understand exactly where you're coming from. I don't feel like you're being unreasonable or anything like that. I think I'm on the opposite end of it, though. Yep. Especially since the Philadelphia Eagles not only beat you in the last matchup, they absolutely annihilated you. They destroyed you and they embarrassed you on your home field. I think the Giants should come out here, and I think players like Leonard Williams. Dory Jackson, players who are injured, playing maybe through something, have been on the injury report. Those guys can rest, yes. But I, I kind of think the Giants should go into this with that mindset that we're going to win this Week 18 game. Let's put our best foot forward. The Saquon Barkley one is, is one where I, I'm kind of going back and forth in my mind with that. Specifically because, yes, obviously Saquon Barkley gives you that best chance to win, but I feel like he has struggled this entire season, as a lot of players do in the NFL, with maybe ailments to his shoulder. He looks pretty fresh now. I feel like the Giants have done a really good job taking the workload off of him. I don't know if I would want 
Saquon Barkley's utilization specifically to be 100%, which kind of takes away from what I just said. But that's also because Matt Breida and Gary Bright will have looked good when they have been used. Right. So I think that could be the approach. Like, look, we're going in here to win. Maybe we're going to pull off the reins on a couple of, of different players, leave out the guys who are playing through some stuff, have them get healthy. But ultimately, we're going to go into Philadelphia and try to win this football game. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Like, I don't know. I'm not like sold on my on the side. Yeah, no, I either. Agree. It's like mm-hmm. I, I I see that side of it too. Like, look, you got embarrassed by the Eagles. Prove you can compete. Maybe even knock them off. Um, it's tough, especially. It's like you said, Barkley, but also Jones, man. Like, he's another guy that you can't afford to lose for the playoffs at all. And I'm not saying like, look, he's he's made it through his first. Gosh, again, knock on wood. At least going into the last week of the season, he's made it through his first full, fully healthy season. And he did get injured earlier, um, but he played through it, so he never missed any time. It's the first year in his entire career that's been the case, which is a big sign. Like that was a big thing that I needed to see. Part of like going into the season, I wanted to see better pocket awareness and pocket manipulation. I wanted to see better processing. I wanted to see better ability to throw on the move. But I also wanted to see better availability. Right, like that was an important thing for me and a lot of Giants fans. Like, can he stay on the field because? That was always Eli Manning's most underrated trait, his availability. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're the starting quarterback, when you're the, the most important position in the entire sport, you need to be on the field. So that's the other yeah. one that I'm like feeling tricky about. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I just feel like it's not because like we talk a lot about Jalen Hurts and certain quarterbacks, and it's ironic because Jalen Hurts ended up hurting his shoulder. Right. But these quarterbacks who avoid contact, Daniel Jones is the exact opposite. Oh, like yeah. Daniel Jones takes like three hits a game, Dan, that should shelve a lot of other players around the league. But that guy is just tough as nails, bro. He took a couple hits in this game against the Colts oh, when the Giants were up. And I'm yeah. like, bro, take care of yourself, man. Just But like, you can't help but admire and respect what he's doing, the physicality that he's playing with. There's yeah. a reason why. And it's not just the work ethic. It's not just the first guy in, last guy out, all the cliches. But there is a reason why everybody who plays for the New York Giants and who is on that Giants staff loves and adores Daniel Jones. And it's reasons like that. It's because he does put his body on the line. Yeah, it's a total double-edged sword, right? Because on one hand, he's taking hits that some of them are so stupid. Like the one he had today that really pissed me off was when he was scrambling down the left sideline and he had a huge run. And like he tried to get the extra three yards out of it and then takes a low hit to the ankle that like he falls on Mm -hmm. awkwardly. And I'm like, he got up fine, but it's like, Dude, that was three total yards you, you gain extra. Like, get the hell out of bounds. And then later in the game, I thought he did something that really showed something good to me. He was on one of those scrambles, like a wide open run around the end. There's just no one there. And he slid at the end of it. And he didn't try to lower his shoulder. But it's a double-edged sword because every time he does try to lower the shoulder and take those extra yards, every single person that's playing with him is like, this is our guy. Like, he's not just a quarterback. He's a football player. He's not, you know, he's not Tom Brady. I don't want to say Tom Brady. He has a lot of respect, but yeah, he's not course. like one of these quarterbacks who maybe like Nick Foles, like or somebody who just like is standing back there and wants to just throw the ball from the pocket and not really move off the spot and not ever lower his shoulder to get extra yards or do anything like that. So it's a real big double edged sword because the players and the teammates love it. I'm sure the coaches don't love it. To be honest with you, they don't want him taking those like low hits and just extra hits. But that's something he'll. I don't think it'll always be that way for Jones. I think he'll get smarter with it. He's because he's you know why? Because he's gotten smarter with almost everything else to this point. He has. He's really yeah. developed his game, bro. He stiff-armed Bobby O'Karake to the ground. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he gained any yards, but the fact that no, he put his arm out there against an NFL line, a good NFL linebacker, <laughs> and put him on the deck is huge. And O'Karake, I think he was the one who also went at Daniel Jones with the elbow, and you saw Ben Bredesen yeah. get up in his face. It's like, dude, there's so much respect for Daniel Jones. Although, any quarterback who takes a hit like that, I feel like – any offensive line with any Well, there was a line. weird video that came out this like two weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it, where like Russell Wilson took a huge hit to mm. the ground and none of his teammates like went over and teammates that. over to pick him up. That was a sad thing to see for Russell Wilson. But it, obviously it's gotten so. to a point with Russ where yeah. you have so many Denver Broncos players coming out on Twitter and being vocal about how hard he works and everything. They're trying to like, right. you know, talk talk the guy up, which which I appreciate, but dude, what a sh- absolute shit show. The yeah, Denver Broncos, all right. And there were rumors with the Giants and Russell Wilson. Oh my God. Could you imagine being yeah. saddled with that contract? Oh, 
death, dude. That'd be I don't. I'm so happy that's not the case right now. We never, we never even did any of it. Thankfully, we didn't do any of the legwork. You and I, like, we at one point were thinking, like, should we look into some of this tape and see if we want to make a case to trade for him or not? We just kind of like let it play out, and I think we both felt like it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't enough, like, too much. There wasn't enough smoke for us to really investigate. But yeah, it was that, and it was the pick too. We we didn't want to because the Giants had two yeah. top ten picks, and we were like, yeah, that would be much wider. Either of those, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. But having said that, if they had just gone against any, you know, if they had just done it, we would have had to opine on it anyway. But if they had just done it, it would be really tough to have this podcast right now. I'm gonna be honest with you, Nick. If I knew right now that the Giants were had Russell Wilson's contract for the next at minimum three years, I think it is, where they're gonna really get out of it. I don't know how I could have given any positivity moving forward. It's like, I don't know what Denver Broncos are going to do at this point with this, with the situation that they're in. That's how bad it can be. But this is not a Broncos podcast. Sorry to you guys who are Broncos fans who might have stumbled in because last week we had some Vikings fans stumble into our reaction podcast and go nuts because we weren't giving them enough credit or whatever, which is funny because we're going to see them again in two weeks. But let's talk about that now. That's where we can close this. kicked against Green Bay, too. Asses kicked against Green Bay. Let's, but, and also something just to keep in mind and note, I'm not going to complain about. They had some offensive line injuries in game today. Mm, just going to say, no just going to say, they lost two linemen in game. It's only two weeks away from when they're playing the Giants, so just something to think about. 14 days for those guys to get ready, and I'll take anything we can get. I don't care. We've already had enough injuries, so I don't care. But moving forward to that matchup, because it's mostly going to be that again, 91% probability the Giants will face the Vikings as the three-six matchup in, in two weeks from now. Um, moving it back to that, Nick. That's why I think the Adoree Jackson return, and I think it is going to happen in time for that game at the very least, maybe even this week against the Eagles, is so important. Having Adoree Jackson in that game changes everything I think that Wink can do schematically. He might not pay all that attention to Jefferson. He might be able to take away some of what Hawkinson did to kill them, you know, and different things like that that really hurt the Giants. If he can feel confident with Adoree Jackson on Jefferson, or even like if he wants to continue to do stuff like that, when, when, you know, Jefferson runs that post corner. He's going to run that post corner. Like, I feel like he runs that route so often because he's just so hard to guard on that. Adore might be able to hang with him on that route. No one else on this roster can come close. Love Fabian Moreau. He's a nice, fun addition. He's done his best. He does not have anywhere near the athleticism or speed or juice to cover him on that kind of route or a lot of the different routes that Jefferson runs. Neither does Flott, nor does any of these players. So that's where I'm, I'm pushing it forward. I'm like, man, I was looking about that Vikings game from last week. Having Adoree Jackson on the field probably would have won the Giants the game, in my opinion. I think so, too. I think definitely you had a number one cornerback to cover Justin Jefferson. You can see what kind of impact that can have. I mean, look at what Jair Alexander was able to do today. Right. And I think there's probably a, a little bit of a difference between Jair Alexander when he's fully dialed in and Adoree Jackson, although Adoree Jackson, I, I feel like, is a very underrated cornerback. And we'll have a lot more on that matchup as it comes closer. We're going to have a lot more on the Big Blue Banter podcast in general this week. We're going to have our offensive film breakdown tomorrow, defensive film breakdown the game after. We know you guys said uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't have a preview this past week, but we're, we're going to try to potentially do that for this Eagles game. We'll, we'll see what we can do there. Um, but at the very least, maybe a mailbag, something of that nature. And then as we move forward to that playoff week, a lot of content coming in that playoff week. Nick and I are going to come up with some interesting things to get everybody riled up and pumped up. The Giants are back in the playoffs, baby. I can't believe it. Look, I predicted before the year the Giants would go 9-8, and eight, Nick, and... I got a lot of, uh, you know, flack for it. I got a lot of pushback for it. And it wasn't like, there wasn't too much logic at the time to, to consider like the Giants could be a nine win team. But the reason I said I thought they could be a nine win team was one, I thought they were going to have this massive coaching edge from what I saw early in the preseason and from all the things I read and just what I knew about these, these guys coordinating both sides of the ball. That proved true. And the other thing I thought was that this passing offense was going to take time. It was going to be, you know, something where it doesn't look good at first, but over time, as you get the system down, especially when you know it's like choice routes and things of that nature and you need like kind of like to be on the same page and the timing is so huge, it would get better. And that's also starting to prove true. It may not hold. I hope it holds. But over the last three or four games, it has held and it has been true. And so today, Nick, we'll close it on this. Today, I was actually one of my most famous moments in the sports industry happened today. Nick. I don't know if you saw this. but Oh, the, free, the, the cold takes exposed? Yes. I finally yes. got hit by freezing cold takes. One of the most powerful accounts. I had like 15 different people that I barely talked to text me immediately when it happened. And I think, Nick, I don't know if this is true, but I think I might be the first human being in the history of freezing cold takes to be on the right side of it. Because I wasn't, you know, most people when they, when freezing cold takes tweet something, it's usually like someone says like, Oh, 
Patrick Mahomes is going to be the biggest bust in NFL history. And then it's like, oh, yeah, look at this idiot. But the freezing cold takes was actually <laughs> my co-host from the Fantasy Football Today podcast, Adam Azer, who's also a Giants fan, but obviously more pessimistic than me and didn't buy into Dable, quote tweeting me when I was like, on August 11th, I think it was. I think that's where the tweet is from. August 11th, where I was like, you know what? I feel really confident the Giants are moving in the right direction from all these things I've seen. I was talking about exactly what I said before. I think they're going to have a coaching edge. And I said, I think the passing game will click with time and will start off really slow, but get good, you know, at the end. And I said, I can see this team winning. I said, I can't see why this team isn't going to win nine games. And then he quoted me, Adam Azer, he said, nine games? Dan is the biggest homer ever. The Giants will be lucky to win five games, and that's what got freezing cold takes. So I come out on the good end of this. He quote tweeted, uh, he retweeted Adam's quote tweet, and then everybody underneath will see like my good take on this. So it was a good day for me, man. Excellent day. Yes. Yeah. And yeah well, I mean, dude, we both picked. Uh, like, I think I had him at eight and yeah, nine. You're at eight. Yep. After after the preseason, I was like, oh man, I was a little bit more pessimistic about it. But looking at the schedule, it's just there are so many winnable games. There were so many teams that were picking in the top ten. That were on the Giants' schedule, so the coaching four and zero against the AFC South. The Giants were four freaking zero, bro. We just started this division every one. year. Yeah, seriously, man, absolutely. That's a great. Yeah, I see. Yeah, because they completed it with this Colts win, but the yeah. Giants, bro, they, they they got it done this year, man. It's good future. I hope, man. Yeah, good future. For right. sure. They they have the right people in place right now. I didn't tweet it last week, but I was close to doing it. I might do a little tweet on it this week. I mean. I'll say this. This is a lar- larger topic, so it's a bad thing to end a podcast on because we could do like another 40 minutes on it. But I don't know, man. I think this is the highest. I, this is the best I've felt about Daniel Jones' future maybe ever. Maybe since that 2019 debut against Tampa. I really feel that way from what I've been seeing lately. Um, and so we'll see if it all plays out. And I, I said, like, you know, I was going to tweet and I was like, I know this could come back to bite me, but this is the best it's looked to me. I feel like the strides he's made have been consistent at this point. And more importantly, I'm seeing what I wanted to see the whole time, right? To me, it was never going to be true. It was never going to be anything sustainable or tangible unless we were a pass first offense. That's what I, that's where I was always at with this early in the season when he was, you know, operating the play action, running a bunch and like occasionally throwing something. It was like, all right, this is pretty smoke and mirrors. I don't know how sustainable it is even for this year. It's certainly not sustainable for the future. And then it wasn't even sustainable for this year, right? Seattle figured it out, and then a bunch of teams figured it out. So what did the Giants do? They adjusted. Now that they have moved to a pass-first offense, that's why I can start to get excited. That's when I'm starting to think, like, okay, now I'm looking at the tools. Now I'm looking at the development of this prospect, and I'm starting to get a little bit excited about where it can go. So we'll obviously talk more about that later. I didn't want to bring that up at the end of the podcast. But do you have anything on that, or should we sign off? No, I think we're good to sign off. Uh, Excited to get into the tape, bro. Yes. Tape coming this week. Obviously, you guys have a great rest of the week. Keep it locked and loaded. And go Giants.